Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. Well, good morning, everybody. You guys excited to be here this morning? Yeah, man. An extra hour of sleep makes a huge difference, doesn't it? I'll tell you what. So I want to welcome everybody here, everybody watching online as well. You know, today, I want to talk to you about what might be called the divine go. And I want to challenge you to be open to allow God to maybe disrupt your life this morning. Because here's the thing, I prayed about this, and I am convinced that for everybody listening to me right now, whether you're here in this room or you're watching online, God is saying go in some way, shape, or form. He's trying to get you to move off the mark, and you're just sitting still. And here's why I believe this to be true. Right now, there is a dynamic going on in our culture that I don't think has existed, at least not in my lifetime. Have you heard the phrase, the great resignation? Raise your hand if you've heard that term, the great resignation. Okay, it refers to the fact that right now in our country, people are literally resigning from their jobs at record rates. And I'm not going to talk specifically about that, but I do want to key in on this word resign, because I believe we're resigning. We are stepping down from many things in our lives these days. And the question we've got to ask is why? Well, sociologists and psychologists are saying that it's a residual effect of COVID quarantining, that after a year of staying put at home and being able to opt out of work, church, school, family gatherings, social events, volunteering, you name it, people's priorities have changed. And they've kind of gotten used to this dynamic of stay versus go, this dynamic of sit versus move. And you know what? I thought about that. It makes total sense to me because we've had a legitimate reason to stay home, to opt out of anything we don't feel like doing. And anything that you do consistently for 60 days or more, experts say, becomes a habit, whether we like it or not. And so I think people have kind of gotten into the habit of just not committing to much of anything at all, such that the expectation for people to show up or follow through or offer customer service, right, those have all dissipated, haven't they? And we're all seeing this happen before our very eyes. Now, obviously, that has some radical implications for our country socially, politically, economically. But this morning, I want to talk about the implications spiritually. Because if we're honest, I believe it's affected our relationship with God. In fact, I believe it's affected our commitment to his mission in our lives and in the world. And I've had conversations now about this topic with hundreds of individuals, many pastors, and we've all kind of agreed that the impact of this stay versus go dynamic of this opt-out versus opt-in mentality is taking a hit on the church. And not just our church, Hill County Bible Church, Georgetown, but churches across America. And so I believe God's word to the church today is go. And maybe not physically get up, leave your home and go, but at least spiritually go. And as we're going to see today in our passage that we're looking at, this is not a new message at all. In fact, it's repeated all throughout this book right here, all throughout the scriptures. But I think it takes on a powerful and very meaningful dynamic in our culture today. And so here's the question I want you to think about as we're going through this message. 
Where is God calling you to get up and go? And if you don't drill it down today, that's okay, but keep asking God to reveal it to you. So let's talk about how God works in this department and then the challenges we're going to face once we identify the divine go. First of all, when we have big choices to make in life, you know, taking a job, making a move, getting into a relationship, having a baby, we always want to know in advance, what exactly am I getting into? And honestly, we never really know. And often that's a good thing because if we knew all that we were getting into, we would never go there in the first place, right? But something spectacular happens when God says to an individual, go. And that person says, all right, God, I'm in. I'll do it. But I thought about this in my own life and in other people's lives. Often when God says go, we resist that calling. Like God says go and we say no. Right? God says go and we're like, hmm. And I just want to share a story with you up front here from my own personal life. It's a major go moment in my life. And I've shared this with some of you. Some of you will know this. Some of you won't. But it has to do with my calling into full-time ministry. Okay, back when I was in college, I was one of those guys that jumped from one major to the next. I had no clue what I was doing in life. So literally, I think every major in the book, computer science, business, music, a host of other areas, I just tried them all. In fact, when Wendy and I were about to get engaged and I asked her father for permission to marry his daughter, I actually had to tell him that at that time I was an education non-teaching major. Okay, will you think about that for just a second? Education, non teaching that's marketable, right? And he still let me marry his daughter. Crazy man, okay? But obviously, I had no clue what I was doing with my life. Well, a friend who, who knew me well, he, he actually challenged me. He knew my passion for the Lord and especially my love for studying the Word. And he said, hey, have you ever thought about going into full-time ministry? And I literally laughed at him and said, you know, I would rather get a weekly root canal then get up in front of large groups of people and speak. I, I basically just totally wrote them off. Well, you may remember in the last series how I said God can speak to you through other people, okay? Well, just shortly after this conversation with my friend, out of the blue, I mean out of nowhere, a complete stranger walks up to me and says, you're a Christian, aren't you? And I was kind of like, okay, who is this dude, right? I said, yeah, I'm a Christian, he said, yeah, I know, because God told me to come over here and tell you he really wants to use you, brother. Have you ever thought about going into full-time ministry? <laughs> I kid you not. <laughs> and I sat there, I was like, well, yeah, actually, recently I thought, thought about you, but you, you don't know me. I'm not in the whole public speaking thing. I'm not an eloquent speaker. And this guy looks me straight in the eye and says, that's what Moses said. That was his excuse, too. And I just stood there stunned, a little ticked off, <laughs> speechless, right? And then the guy turns around and walks away. And as he's leaving, he said, hey, God wants to use you, brother. Never saw that person again. Now, I wish I could tell you that Brian Threlkel, the great man of faith, dropped to his knees and said, here am I, Lord, use me. No, I didn't do that in that moment. You know what I did? I totally blew him. I said, okay, this is one of these crazy, charismatic Christians I've heard about. He probably walks around telling everybody that God's calling him into ministry. I just blew it off. But God was relentless, people, with the go, go, go. And because I'm thick-headed, he continued to reveal it to me in crazy, crazy ways to the point where finally I'm like, okay, I give, I give. And here I am today. You know, my wife, Wendy, has said, if you wrote the story of my life, you'd have to call it the reluctant pastor. It's true. I got to tell you, I mean, 
Don't get me wrong, I love being a pastor now, but I stand before you today not because I always dreamed of being a pastor. I stand before you today because of a divine calling. Like God said go, and he started to speak to me through a complete stranger, convicting me through somebody I didn't even know. Now, I'm not going to know until I get to heaven one day whether that was just some guy that God said, hey, prompted him and said, go confront this dude over here, or whether it was an angel from heaven. But either way, it shouldn't really surprise us. It's entirely biblical. I mean, listen to what God says in Hebrews 13 too. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. I'll find out one day. But that was the beginning of my divine go into ministry. Now, obviously, that's a big deal, right? That's a major go. But there have been plenty of smaller goes in my life, like go apologize to your wife, go volunteer for this ministry, go share your spiritual story with that friend in the gym. You know, as I thought about it, doing life with God is really just an ongoing string of go moments. That's what it is. And that's why we're doing this series called Go, taking a look at Old Testament biblical characters that God told to go, and then the unique circumstances and challenges they faced when they did. And let me just say this, some form of divine go comes into every human being's life. It comes to you today. See, God has blessed you so that you will be a blessing to his world around you. And doing life with God means responding to him when he says go. Now, today's divine go comes to a single human being in the book of Genesis. And just to give you some background information, the first 11 chapters of Genesis include the big cosmic creation of all things, and then the fall and shattering impact of sin, and then this divine judgment from God, the giant flood. And, and all of that really was leading up to this one moment where God was going to come to an ordinary individual. See, this is how God's going to work now. Not a king, not a giant stage, just one man. So here we go, and bear with me. This is very, very extensive, but you're going to need all this information. We need all the historical background information. I'm going to refer to it later. So stay with me here. This is the account of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Abraham and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now, Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem, 
At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. And from there, he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. Okay, we'll stop there. So God says, go. Leave your country, the land that's familiar to you. Leave your people, the culture that shaped you, your father's household. Leave home. So God appears to this family living in Ur of the Chaldeans. Now, at that point in time, Ur may have been the largest city in the ancient world. Around 2000 B.C., Ur was the place to be. You see, all the wealth that was traded around the Mediterranean, it had to go through Ur. So it was a place of great wealth, great commerce, great education, great technology. In fact, the very first written down legal code in civilization was there in Ur. So Ur would be a difficult place to leave. And so first they leave Ur, and then later God says to Abram, go to the land I will show you. That's kind of vague. And it turns out to be this land called Canaan. Now, you got to understand, Canaan was everything that Ur was not. It was uncultured, uncivilized, underdeveloped. It was a rough, difficult place to live. Like, nobody who could afford to live in Ur would get their family up and move to Canaan. Okay, It just wouldn't happen. It would kind of be like if you could afford to live in Georgetown, Texas, you're going to pick up your family and you're going to move to the city of... Go ahead, somebody say it for me, because if I say it, I'm going to offend someone. All right? Somebody's going to be from there, right? Somebody online. But you, anybody going to say anything? I thought about a bunch of cities, and I couldn't even put anything out there that I couldn't get tagged for. <laughs> Which is say Georgetown's an awesome place, okay? We'll go there. But you get my point, right? Nobody's going to do that. It doesn't make any sense. In fact, obviously, the question for Abram is like, why? Why would I want to leave Ur? to go to Canaan. You know, the text doesn't say. God does not tell Abram why, as far as we know. But we actually have a really good idea, and it relates to you and to me, because later on in the Bible, in the book of Joshua, God says to Israel, long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River, and here it comes, and worshiped other gods. But I took your father, Abraham, from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. See, in Ur, Abram was living in a culture of idolatry, worshiping many little gods in superstitious ways, trying to get what you want. That's the condition of the human race apart from God. And so God is going to begin again with this one man, Abram. And this is a pivotal moment. God will create a people through whom his presence can be seen here on earth. But first, he's going to have to root out from Abraham all kinds of beliefs and attitudes and habits. He's going to have to take care of this commitment that they all had to idolatry. God's going to have to teach Abraham a whole new way of understanding the world and faith and even his own identity. That's why God gives him a new name. He says, no longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham for I have made you a father of many nations. That's what that term is all about, Abraham, the father of many nations. 
See, for Abram to stay where he was would have made that impossible. Like all of his old relationships, all of his old patterns, his old ways of doing life would have sucked him right back into idolatry. So Abram has to leave everything that would get in the way of this new life and go on a journey with God. And what does God give Abraham? A promise. That's all. Just a promise. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God says, I'm going to do something wonderful, something incredible in this world. See, God's goal is to create an all-inclusive community of loving people who reflect his glory and love and grace to the world. In Genesis 1, God creates the world in order to have something to bless, and he blesses all creation. But then sin comes, and the curse comes, and the serpent is cursed, and the ground is cursed, and there's the mark of Cain. But God begins again with this one man, Abraham, and he starts to speak of blessing once again. See, God's going to use this one man to reverse the curse. So God gives Abram a promise. He says, a child will be born to you and Sarai. Now, Abraham has very good reason to be skeptical here. Like we just read, now Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. You know, there's a world of hurt in that comment. There's a unique ache in the human soul around not being able to have children. Just talk to somebody who wanted to have children but we're not able to have children. And if it's bad in our day, it was even more pronounced in the ancient world. See, children meant financial security. Like there were no safety nets, no pensions, no 401ks back then. And children, they were the continuance of your legacy, the continuance of your name. And for a woman in the ancient world, the inability to bear a child, that wasn't just a disappointment. It was a stigma, a shame, a disgrace. Now, Abram is 75 years old. Think about this. And his wife, Sarai, is 65. So they've been disappointed with life for a long, long time. Right? Just, they prayed to the gods that they knew. They probably offered sacrifices to every god under the sun. Nothing. And now, this strange god comes to them and says, I'm going to make happen for you what you've been waiting for for 50 years. But you have to leave you got to go by faith. The writer of Hebrews says, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. You know, you never know where you're going if you're going by faith. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. If you're going by faith, you're always going to feel like a stranger because your home is ultimately God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who made the promise. And so from this one man, and he is good as dead. (laughs) Don't you love that phrase? And he is good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. When you get the divine go, If you go, you go by faith. But let me tell you, there will always be an excuse. There will always be an excuse you can toss out. You know, Abram's was, I'm I'm too old. 
I'm too old. Here's a good principle. If you're not dead, you're not done, okay? I made the Sun City campus repeat that with me. So just to be fair, I'll say if you're not dead and you say you're not done. We'll do this as a little liturgical thing here. If you're not dead, okay, good. You'll remember that. Get this here. This is amazing. Abram is 75 years old. You know when this child's going to be born? 24 years later. He's going to have to wait 24 years for Sarai to have this child. I mean, literally, God comes back to him again 24 years later and repeats the same promise. And here's Abram's response, okay? I don't know what I would say. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, will a son be born to a man 100 years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? God says, yeah, Sarah will bear you a son. I don't care how old she is. If you're not dead, you're not done. In fact, God says, I'm going to give you a sign of my promise, of my covenant. Verse 11, you're to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. See, God says, not only will I fulfill this promise to give you a son who will be the beginning of this new life with God community here on earth, but in addition to that, I'm creating a new sign of my covenant, circumcision. And you, 99-year-old Abraham, will have the honor, the joy the historical legacy of being the first guy to be circumcised. What do you think, Abe? Mm. Can you imagine that? I don't. Can we like do a tat or a secret handshake or something different? See, in the Bible, age is never a reason to say no when God says go. Moses is eighty. When God says, go, confront Pharaoh. Even better, Caleb is 85 when he says, can I go and take that mountain over there? I want another piece of the promised land. Send me. Well, Abraham tries to say no because he's too old. You know, Timothy tries to say no because he's too young. Esther tries to say no because she's the wrong gender. Moses tries to say no because he's got the wrong gifting. God keeps saying, go, go, you, 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 go. If you're not dead, You're not done. And I'll tell you this, some form of divine go comes into every life. It comes into your life today. And yes, it'll mess with your life. It'll mean leaving behind anything that gets in the way of your relationship with God. For sure, it'll mean leaving sin. And maybe it'll mean leaving comfort or affluence or prestige or security. But the divine go comes to you. And when you go, you're going to have to go by faith, not by sight. You know, people always want to know, well, how can I know for sure that this is where I ought to go? How can I know for sure that this is what I ought to do? Like, how can I be guaranteed that if I say yes, there'll be no risk, no hurt, no failure, no criticism? Doesn't work that way. We go by faith, not by sight. We don't wait for guaranteed outcomes in this world. Can't wait for that. So what does that mean? If I go, I might fail. I might mess up. But if I don't go, and I don't risk, and I don't say yes, then I will never get to the promised land of life with God and be a blessing to his world around me. You know, there's an intriguing little detail in the text here about Abram's dad. 
We read it earlier. It says, Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Hmm. Terah, Abram's dad, he starts out in Ur, and he goes up to Haran, but he stops. Okay, what's going on here? We don't know for sure, but Haran is a city a lot like Ur. Lots of wealth there, lots of idols. So maybe Terah thinks to himself, if I go any further, I could lose everything. I might have to give up my idols. So maybe Terah chooses comfort. But Abram says yes to God's calling. Comfort or calling? You know, for Terah, this could be a picture of what you might call the road not taken. And I have to wonder if when Terah was an old man, he regretted staying in the comfort and safety of Quran. Because he lived almost the same age as his son Abram. So he would have seen everything. Did he regret it when he saw and heard about Isaac, his grandson, being born, and all the blessings being bestowed upon Abraham? Did he regret staying behind and missing out on all that? I think some of the saddest stories are the calls that never get answered, the risks that never get taken, you know, the obedience that never gets offered, the adventures that never happen. Well, I hope that's not you. When God called, Abram went, Terah settled. Now, Abram won't get it perfect. He's going to mess up. He's going to stumble along the way. But his faith is all God needed to get the project going. God can work with that. And it starts with a calling to go, to leave one thing in order to gain something greater. And you know what? That's a theme that we see that runs all the way through the Old Testament and even into the life of Jesus who, by the way, challenged people in the same way. You remember this. Go, leave your nets. Go, leave your tax collecting. Leave your adultery. Go and sin no more. Leave your mother and father and brother and sister and come follow me. Sometimes people did, and they got to be a part of God's grand story. Sometimes people said, no. What about you? What's your response? God has a major calling in your life. And it's not just get a degree, get a job, earn money, get married, like have a family, get a promotion, you know, have grandkids, you know, retire, chill for a few years, and, and then die. Now, there's a greater spiritual calling for each and every one of us. Before he left this planet, Jesus called his followers, his disciples together. And he gave them one more divine go, and it applies to us today as well. This is what he said. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. That word disciples just means learners, followers. Go share with people about me so that they can follow me. Go make disciples of all nations. So now it's our day. And I'm convinced that God is saying to every one of us here and every person watching online right now the same thing he said to Abram. Go. You know, leave the idols, the folly of this world. Leave the worship of comfort, affluence, and self. Quit living your life just for the things of this life. Start living with eternity in mind. Start investing in things that will outlast your life here on earth. I created you for a greater purpose. 
So leave the imitation life and go find the real abundant life. Let's pray. Right now, I just want to give each and every one of you a moment just between you and God. I can't make this happen. No church can make this happen. This isn't a program. This is you saying, God, I want to be a part of your life, what you're doing here on this earth. And maybe you're not even sure what that would look like. Just ask God, starting right now, to reveal that to you. What is your go? And maybe you're here this morning and you'd say, I, you know, I think somewhere along the line, I kind of settled down in Haran. If I'm being really honest about it, I have a couple idols in my life and I don't want to go to my grave that way. I don't want to miss this opportunity, this road. So God, I, I'm just declaring to you, I, I want to say yes. Whatever it is, show me what that is. Show me what the go is for me. Heavenly Father, you know our hearts. And you are the God who says go. So my prayer is that you would lead every son of yours, every daughter of yours in this room right now to whatever direction they need to go. Lord, we offer our lives and our hearts to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, how about the simplest closing ever? Go. <laughs> Have a great one.